Hey, hey, hey. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Hi. everyone. Good evening. Uh, well, welcome to the uh, On the Inside podcast. Uh, this is a podcast that we've started about a month ago. Uh, and we're largely discussing things like uh, our emotions, different types of emotions. Uh, we started off with an introduction. Last week, we spoke about self-love because we didn't manage to complete the second part of love, <laughs> which is romantic love, right? And that's something that we are going to explore today. We actually named ourselves Sandbox. So you might be wondering why Sand, or Sean, Emery, and Nico. <laughs> so, and uh, as some of you might or might not know, uh, we are live on Facebook, uh, currently on my page, as well as on the Inside Podcast page. So we have a huge topic today. Now let, let's start with the uh, most abstract question of all. Uh, what is love? Well, I'll let Nico go first. Come on. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously uh, romantic love, or maybe love in the context of like relationship. And so then that's, yeah, that's that bond really, like between, between people, uh, you know, that gets to grow over time and also all the feelings all the emotions that come with it um i think that to me that's the what comes to mind <clears throat> yeah when i think about love that just how it how we how it's we experience it like you know with friends family uh partners mm -hmm. uh, uh in everyday life yeah. and um and also that can be broadened so if you want if we want you know a broader perspective we can also zoom out and see that yeah, maybe there can also be love for our pets. That's that's there's obviously love there, and more broadly, you know, animals in nature, and maybe nature, and even you know the planet. I mean, there's the, the universe. You can, you can go as far as you want. Uh, that's why it's such a small topic. <laughs> when I when I when I think about uh, love, uh, one of the first things is similar to you, right? I think of romantic love. Um, of course, there's all the other kinds of love, but when I think of romantic love. Um, what immediately comes to mind are the very nice, very happy, very warm, wonderful feelings. Um, and there's also the other side of things, right? Which is the not so nice when things don't always go your way. Uh, the sad feelings, the feelings of, of loneliness. Yeah, especially when on, on the other side, it gives you so much warmth and so much companionship. Um, so the contrast of emotions is something that's very interesting to me. Uh, even though it's just like, you know, one part, which is romantic love, right? Emery? All right. So I think that there are probably a few ways to define love. So love can be seen as an emotion, right? And I think also as a process. So how I see it as an emotion is, of course, like how we see happiness, sadness, anger. And, you know, there's this book that comes to mind. I'm not sure if you guys have read it. Uh Love 2.0, I think by Barbara Fredrickson. I think, Nicole, you might know about this. No, we talked yeah. about it before. This is like years ago, right? Okay, What's that? No, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah I don't so, recall, but yeah. Yeah, I, I must have had this conversation with you. But anyway, it talks about um, love as micro moments of connection. And the author argues that you can actually have love even, you know, with strangers right? Because it's really the micro moments of positive resonance that is the emotion, the felt emotion of love. Um, but I kind of feel like it's too simplistic. I mean, if we see love as an emotion, sure, right? But at the same time, love is really a process. 
um, you know, the feelings, you know, kind of like happiness and sadness, you know, they do come and go, right? And what's left sometimes is, okay, you know what, you have to do the dishes together, you have to do your household chores. It's kind of hard to see that as romantic, right? And love is actually that commitment to say, yeah, even when I wake up and I'm not feeling especially lovey-dovey today, I want to do something nice for you because it means something to you, right? And I think that love as a process means showing up and being vulnerable and learning that, you know, you can count on the other person. Hmm. Well, that that uh, involves doing something that you might not feel like doing. Right. And if you yep. if you do that often enough, won't don't you feel like it's it's hard harder to be who you are, which is I'm the person that doesn't like to do dishes. But because the other person likes it, I keep doing it. And after some time I get tired, it doesn't feel like me. What do you think? So you're saying that you might feel resentful if you're doing things you don't want to do? Well, it's just this sense that sometimes I'm not me anymore. All right. Mm-hmm. Because that's not that's not what I would normally do. I, I I might not like to do the dishes. But isn't love about compromise? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, to be in a healthy relationship, right? I think it's important that you know you stay true to your values. Um, partners stay true to the values, and there is space to grow, right? And I think the compromise will come in place not 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 sort of um in terms of you know compromising on your own values but really maybe the things that don't matter as much i mean like doing the dishes right i mean you know both partners might equally hate it and is that <laughs> share that that shared experience of you know what we're in this together i think that's what's important yeah okay uh so Do you think that that eventually this comes down to values, right? Which is, you it's okay to do stuff for the other person uh, to demonstrate love as long as it's not against your values. Uh, Nicole, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, okay. So the question of value of, is important, I think. I mean, to me, value, what values are, it's like you, um, it's essentially a commitment to me. So it's like you 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 commit to behave in a certain way, to, you know, deal with things with life or some aspects of life in a certain way, uh, because you think that <clears throat> that, makes sense, that makes sense or that's a good way to do it, or that you know that's a way that works for you. And to me, values, they are not really useful when you are able to, uh, when things come naturally. For instance, like you can be in situations where you 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 um, you act in agreement with your value in a way that's very natural. Like for instance, you might be helping someone who's in distress or you might be you might feel like moved to volunteer to, you know, um, maybe help a partner or if in the context of relationship or, you know, provide support. And and to me, that's that, those are situations where you um, behave and act in line with your values. But I think in those situations, values are actually pointless. Values are really for moments where you don't want to do those things, or you're not able to do those things, or you're not able to prioritize those things. Therefore, moments where it's not, it's not natural to act in those ways. 
And that's why you can turn to your values and say, okay, I do not right now want to help. Uh, I'm not able to. Um, uh, I'm annoyed. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe in context of relationship, like, you know, we had a fight yesterday. I don't want to, you know, make any effort today. And I think that's that's when value are useful to like to kind of like have that mirror that says, yeah, but that's not how you want to be acting on the long run. That's not what you think is important. That's not how you think is valuable as a uh, as a decision for yourself. And so that's why you have to overcome kind of your tendencies. So for me, that's that one aspect of value and how that maps on maybe the way you express love or the way you behave in relationships as well. And then there's that other aspect, which is, okay, but then what happens if you, um, what well, you mentioned, what happens if you need to go against your your values um, to help someone? And I think that's a very challenging <laughs> um, area, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that cannot be dealt with unless there's like really open communication around values between people. Yeah, that's that's really. I don't want to say much more because I think we can talk more about that. But yeah, that's where <laughs> I would start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, well, before, there's uh, so much sorry. to talk about. Sorry. Okay, so so no. Uh, so just just before we carry on, uh, firstly, thank you to the ten plus people who are here with us. Thank you for joining us, whether you're from Facebook or from YouTube. Uh, we have a few comments. Uh, one's from Jax. Hi, Henry. <laughs> Jack Hi. and Joe here. <laughs> And uh, Jay is my friend. Hello, Jane. Thank you for, for joining us. Uh, and today we are talking about love, uh, romantic love, and exploring these feelings and these emotions. So uh, earlier we were speaking about the about values and the impact of values in you know doing things for someone else. And Emery, you had some thoughts? Yeah, I was just gonna say that, you know, I often hear about um, clients asking right? Um, if there's such a thing as, you know, opposites attract, right? Because, um, you know, people think that it's it's important to find someone who's completely different from you, and that's how it works, right? And at the same time, the same, you know, um, the, the same behaviors they're attracted to are over time what annoy them, right? And they don't get it, because at the start, they, they go, yeah, I mean, you know, that was the reason why I was attracted to, to them, right? He was quiet and, and nice. And now he just doesn't talk when we have a fight, he just shuts down and I'm not sure what to do. Um, so the same quality that they were attracted to at the start became, you know, that one thing that was frustrating, right? And, you know, um, two things come to mind. One, one is that obviously fights are never really about, you know, um, the dishes or the fact that he doesn't want to talk during a fight, but it's something deeper. And the other thing is that I, I think, you know, you can be quite different in qualities or, or traits or characteristics, but, you know, what's I think important is that you're similar in terms of your values. Like you care about the things um, in life um, in a similar way, right? Um, and you're both committed to the relationship. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think there is a lot of value in talking about values in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, on, on the topic of opposites attract, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those things uh, since young, uh, everyone was kind of wondered, like, how come all the good girls like all the, all the uh, bad boys or the, the 
the not so good boys. We always thought that, oh, a good girl will like a good boy, a good boy will like a good girl. And uh, <laughs> opposites kind of attract. Uh, but on the other hand, I think we are sometimes also very attracted to people who are so similar to us, right? I mean, sometimes when when we go and meet people, when we go on dating apps, when we go and chat with random people, what kind of excites you is like the first thing I feel sometimes and when, what my friends tell me, it's this person is so similar to me, we can get along so well. And that seems to be the platform uh, or to move up to the next level, right? Which is, which is you know, I want to speak to this person a little bit more. Yeah, so sometimes opposites attract and sometimes um, similarities attract much more as well. Right, don't you think? Uh, Nico? Um, yes, I think, I think to me there's... Um, like obviously there's a very different area in which people could be different or similar. Like we mentioned values. Um, I think I agree that yeah, common common values are it's it's kind of an important thing, and and um, and I, I my sense is like maybe when first meeting someone or you know first dates or whatever you you get you get you kind of probe for that you kind of try to get a sense of like what you know those people are about what do they believe in you know um, what matters to them um, at that level even if it's not really conscious like we don't have an agenda. We we have we are on that information gathering process to look for maybe those deeper kind of views and uh, and values. So there's that, and um, um, then uh, in my my sense is that there's also um, lifestyle. Like I feel like for most people, especially for like on the long run, um, my sense is that uh, sharing. Like wanting like a common kind of lifestyle, it's 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 actually very um, important. Uh, it's not not for a relationship, you know, that's not meant to last. But I think for a very long, um, someone looking for like maybe longer term relationship, like just things like you know, um, how would you like to live? Like where would you like to live? You know, um, what kind of what kind of environment? Uh, how big a family? If you even want a family, how important should friends be? Um, how how present should should the, you know each person parents be? All those things are like in, in terms of like how you want life to organize itself. I think these are things where people where we tend to naturally try to seek similarities. I feel. Uh, Nico, at, at at what point do you start asking those questions, right? Because if you meet someone on the very early stage, you're just trying to get along before you ask this slightly more serious mm. settling down kind of questions, right? Mm. Like, I don't, I don't think you need to ask those questions. Well, I'm okay. I mean, there's a point where you're going to have to ask those questions, like if there's the discussion around commitment and so on. But I think early on, we still kind of get a feel for it. Like, for instance, like what kind of living environment would people, the other person would like? Then to me, it's kind of like, it's about leisure as well. So you get to learn pretty early about what kind of leisure the person like. Is that someone who's very active or prefer like staying indoors? Those things... Unconsciously give information about the kind of life that people want to have on the long run as well. You know, would you, like would you be you're going to the gym or I don't know, um, spending all your vacations doing outdoor sports, or do you want a very cozy place, you know, in a cabin somewhere and just don't move for a week? So these are things that are like on the long term relationship are really not really compatible, you know, in terms of uh, uh, or actually are challenging to 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 make. Um, work in that sense, mm -hmm. yeah. So so it's uh, it's definitely easier to have 
common interests. Uh, common, like, you know, if both people like sports, that's definitely helpful, right? Because at least that's something that you kind of agree on already. Um, but Emery, I just wanted to gather your thoughts. Do you think that this is a necessity or is it a good to have? It's a good to have. Yeah, I can finally <laughs> hear you guys now. So I just used my earphone. Sorry if I missed out on earlier. Nah, no worries. Yeah, but I think that, you know, it is a good to have. It's not necessary, um, necessarily like a crucial ingredient because I think that ultimately what's most important is the sense of openness and curiosity about the other person's lifestyle. So for instance, if my partner and I do different things, but I'm open to try what, you know, they are doing, then, you know, it works, right? Because I'm participating and we're having shared experiences anyway. And in fact, it could also broaden my own life experiences. So, you know, that's great. And it probably only is a problem if you are a little bit more closed off, you're not as willing to try or, you know, you want to stay in your comfort zone a little bit, right? And that's when you find, okay, you know, we don't have as many opportunities for shared experiences because we don't have um, um, interests that, that sort of overlap. And that's how you sort of, you know, start to um, realize that because you have fewer opportunities to, to get together and, and share, right? There's also that maybe um, sense of disconnection over time as you sort of go into your own sort of separate worlds um, as opposed to sort of coming together. What do you mean by the last part, going into your separate worlds? Well, the thing is this, I mean, you know, if you find that, okay, I'm holding on really tightly to my own interests and your partner is doing the same thing, right? There's less sort of coming together. Yeah. And, and the thing is that, you know, to really build a relationship that's healthy, right? There has to be also time for play, right? And I think often people don't see that as, a, as an important thing because we get caught up in our lives and, you know, we're working, maybe, you know, spending time with family, uh, but not really that couple time for play, right? And this would involve sort of having new experiences together um, and it requires a sense of openness and curiosity that I talked about. Mm. Well, well, on that on that topic, uh, if a person has different interests and different things to do, right? They have, you said we have work, we have family, etc. Uh, that that brings another issue of priorities, right? Because I think that there are some couples that, um, like the other person, has to be the top priority. If not, they find like, oh, you know, how come that? like something else is more important than me. Uh, it reminds me of the time where I used to say that uh, if if some, someone that I was dating asked me, oh, you know, uh, squash or me more important. And, and my typical re reply would be, uh, do you want the honest answer or do you want the correct answer? <laughs> <laughs> and what would um, you say, Sean? Sorry? What would your answer be? Wh which one? So after, after you say that, and, yeah. and then, you know, um, the person replies and then what do you say to that? Oh, usually they, uh, they'll, they'll just be pretty upset <laughs> because they, they know, they know what's coming without me no. having to say it. Um, but, but the question is, is this right? Is it, is it, is it critical that your partner should be the top of your priorities? Nico, uh, what do you think? 
Um, I think it depends. <laughs> um, like, I don't think there are really rules, actually. Um, so that's how kind of hard to say things that are really um, general, like in the, you know, about that. Like in that sense is that, does it have to be the case? No, like anything is possible in relationships. Like, I don't think there's, there's rules. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious Like some people will, and, and that's a totally, the absolutely sane decision, like to, prioritize a career over any kind of like relationship, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like some people might consider that, you know, it's not, it hasn't been my, my personal stance or my experience, but I've, you know, I've talked to people and they might be like, my career is the most important thing. You know, I've built in from scratch and there's nothing that would, I would let my, you know, compromise it for, uh, not relationship, not friendship, and sometimes not even family actually. Um, uh, and often, I mean, it might, it might be people who have a very specific, you no know, personal history. Maybe some of them are coming from more difficult circumstances and they kind of manage to build themselves up and they don't really want to let, let that go. And that, make, that, makes, that makes total sense. So in that circumstances, there's no way they might be able to prioritize um, uh, a relationship um, um, over their career. At least in some, at some point in their life, then they might be, moments in life where, you know, they reach a sense of safety and then they, are, they can relax and have more space, you know, and they want to invite in something else and then their priority change. Um, actually, I have a specific story about a, fr um, a friend who met um, someone, both of them were a bit older. And so the first time I met them um, is now, um, they're not married, but they've been together for a long time. So that is now girlfriend, partner. She told me, she told me, um, so I asked her what you do, and she said, "Oh, I'm a career woman. Like I live for my career, and and <laughs> and, and that makes sense. And, and history, she, she wasn't she wasn't into a lot of relationships, and that was, she was fully committed to her work. And then I and we had a similar conversation. Three, it was four or five years after that, and she completely changed her outlook. And now her life was all about them, you know, finding a flat and, and you know taking care of the flat." And she didn't mention her career at all. And she told me that, oh, my career is on a back burner. You know, I realized it was very demanding. I didn't find it as fulfilling. So all things are, all those things are even, you know, they change over time. So it's, it's, it's hard to even think in general for one person. Like this is how you, sh uh, what will work for you, I feel. Yeah. Emery, um, mm -hmm. your other partner, a priority? Is that important? A top priority, is that important? So I need to answer this um, in the context of, I guess, you know, the relationship, right? Because I think it really depends on the kind of relationship we both want to have. Um, so for instance, it, okay, it also depends on, I guess, the stage of life we're at, right? Um, maybe when we had, you know, when we we're a lot younger and, you know, there's more sort of time and space to explore the world, Right. Perhaps, you know, we could have an understanding that, uh, yeah, we spend, you know, this amount of time with each other. But at the same time, you want to have that space to explore. You want to, you know, do your own things with your friends, your own family. Right. And again, I think it really goes back down to, to that understanding the agreement uh, between partners 
uh, that this is how it looks like. So I, I don't know if there's such a thing as, you know, top priority. Um, I don't know if it makes sense sort of in a generic way. But I do think that it's important both partners agree that this is how it, it looks like, right, to really show up for the other person. Um, I find the word priority a little bit, it's tricky, right? Because, you know, if you were to start ranking, right, someone's going to get upset in a relationship. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. 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 And, <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, it also really depends on the time period, right? I mean, if this is kind of like a lull period at work and I'm, I have a little bit more time and space, of course I could prioritize, right? And, and so it's really about the flexibility and understanding. Um, I feel that that's more important than kind of saying, okay, you're my top priority always and forever. I think that's a bit unrealistic. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, that comes to mind as I talk about this is also the idea of attachment. Um, when you have more securely attached partners, um, you know, a, a sort of issue like that, maybe a bit of a crisis, um, you know, when one partner is a bit busier and the other suddenly feels like, oh, you know, uh, they're not showing up as much, right? Um, someone who is securely attached in a relationship wouldn't go, okay, you know, they're going to abandon me now or they must be cheating on me. Um, they're more likely to just you know, be understanding, give the partner a benefit of the doubt and, and go, yeah, they're probably just, um, you know, going through a hard time at work and, you know, they're probably a little bit less available, but that's okay because I know they will come back anyway. Wow. And I think it's interesting because the, when that, that brings on to the next point of discussion, which is this issue mm -hmm. of insecurity, isn't it? Because I think a lot of couples... How should I put it? Okay, so so the first time I I kind of felt this, uh, kind of experienced this thing about insecurity is um, when someone was is very clingy, right? And I'm not I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but it's just you know one particular character, right? And when I experienced it, and we we spoke about it, you know, in the past relationship, and and we discussed this, um. The conclusion came that she said she felt she was insecure. All right. So when it comes to insecurity, do you think that this is a sign of uh, a lack of trust? Or, you know, could there be some other reasons? What, what do you think? Who wants to go? This is a, this is a very, this is mm. a super complex question. I think, Nicole, mm. you would agree. I mean, it goes back all the way to even like your childhood experiences. Um. I mean, if we were to sort of, you know, um, delve into attachment theory, what attachment theory suggests is that um, the kind of attachment we had with our primary caregivers would very much influence our romantic relationship styles as well. And for instance, if you had caregivers who were consistent, who were, you know, emotionally available, right, you would grow up to be more likely securely attached to your partners. Uh, on the flip side, if you had caregivers who were inconsistent or if you had gone through some very traumatic experiences um, as, a, as a child, um, it is harder than to, to get a sense of secure attachment in your relationships later on in life. And um, the, the thing is that, you know, it's, it's often easy to slip into this idea that, okay, that's it, you know, I'm doomed. If I had like really crap relationships in the past, then 
you know, I'm going to have crap relationships in the future. That's not very true because um, there is an idea of earned security, right? Um, for instance, if, you know, you could have had a really difficult childhood and had really insecure relationships with your caregivers. But, you know, along the way, if you do meet a partner who gives you a sense of security, right, um, you would learn that actually, you know, you're able to trust uh, that person. Um, you're able to also rely on yourself, right? And that relationship actually is um, a very, ref like a transformative experience um, as you learn that, you know, there are relationships you can trust in this world. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a really fascinating field, right? Um, and often, you know, when I work with relationships, uh, this is something that always comes up, this idea of attachment. And, you know, I mean, can go on and on about it, but the, the premise <laughs> is that, um, you know, if, if we want to think about um, a secure relationship, really what we're looking at is the sense of attachment. And to be securely attached means being able to see your partner as a safe haven, you know, someone you go to when things go bad, right? And a secure base. So, you know, a place where you could explore freely and know that's okay. Thank you. Nico, thoughts? Yeah, so... Um... Um, so the thing that I found interesting in the, the bit you shared was really how um, then your partner had that awareness that she she reached awareness that there was I forgot how you how you framed it but that mm -hmm. the, the clinginess came came from insecurity I think you said and I think that's what, that's another way of um, working through those issues in relationships like patterns we all have in the way we behave in relationships like really be very attentive to what's going on with ourselves. Like, you know, when when we experience suffering, when there's difficulty, when there's a sense of insecurity, when there's that fear that, you know, the person might leave us or, um, and and I think, I, th I think it's natural. Like the first reflex would be to uh, look outside. I mean, essentially try to check what the partner is doing, what's going on with the behavior of the partner, what's up, you know, uh, he is he or she is moving away, um, or, uh, or on the other hand, is in, he or she too smothering? So there's this sense of like trying to look out for what's going on outside in the partner uh, to try to fix how we feel, and I think that's totally useful. And because sometimes there's they can be really sure with the partner behavior, but I feel that um, um, as grown adults, we can get to a place where we learn that there's almost someone else that can care for ourselves inside as well. Like we don't always have to look for outside for solution to problem relationships. They mm -hmm. can also be something to be learned in turning outside um, as your friend did, like in the sense being like, oh, okay, I'm kidding me, but there's this insecurity and then dive in like, why do I feel insecure? Like what that emotion, um, is, it, is it pleasant, is it unpleasant? Um, and, and I think through that process we can, and I can be guided also or be done with a friend, and, but we can reach to a place where we, we learn to care for those emotions that we carry. And, and then reach a place of self-compassion where actually we almost like become a parent, a parent or a partner to ourselves. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, agree. So I agree. We can be that parents that we didn't have for some of us. And I'd be like, oh, you're, you're hurting. And I'm going to try to learn more about why you're hurting, how that feels like, and what we can do about it. 
and, and, and you can do that to yourself. You doesn't have to expect your partner to do it for you. And that's great if they do, as Amari said, you know, you can then build up trust with someone. But you, but there's also something that can be done on your own there. Um, yeah. And that's very empowering as well, in a sense. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Because I think, you know, sometimes um, when I have clients really struggling with this idea of um, leaning on someone or learning to trust your partners, right? There's often this, this idea that to be independent means I need to shut everyone out, right? It's a very all or nothing way of seeing relationships. Like if I were to count on someone, it means I'm dependent and that's bad, right? But the truth is that, you know, in a healthy relationship, you want to be able to count on yourself and to learn that it's okay to also count on someone else. And that's kind of the balance we're looking at. And a lot of that comes with a uh, higher level of awareness. I mean, that's just what Nico said, right? And um, the, the thing is that if, let's say, they are aware of how they are feeling in relation to various circumstances, what can they do about it? All right. Uh, so what if they are aware? So, I mean, the, 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 it goes back to this point where can I feel this sense of security? Is it something that can be learned or be trained in? Or is it something that, oh, if, if a person comes by, somehow I, and I'm lucky, this person gives me that sense of security because I kind of feel like this special person, I can trust him or her. Uh, what do you think? Can security, sense of security be trained or learned? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in both, in both ways, like through, you know, your own practice and, you know, even this um, transformative experience with a secure relationship, I think, you know, um, all these experiences will add up to help you get there. Right. I mean, if you have a partner um, who is willing to, to learn with you or who is secure um, there is this idea of co-regulation in a relationship that makes it really helpful, right? Because if you find that your relationship is a safe space, it's a safe place, you know, you can be who you are. You're already learning that, you know, it's okay, right? The world is okay, right? And, and you're okay. And, you know, on your own, even without a partner, right? I mean, there's so much work we can do with ourselves, Um you know, learning to be self-compassionate, like what Nico said, um, that's really important. Learning to be a little bit more aware, learning about, you know, things you stand for, your values, right? And realizing that at the end of the day, you know, no one can take that away from you. I mean, this is all your own growth. So I think it's, it's you know, both through yourself and through a healthy relationship that, you know, we can learn to be more secure. Nico, what do you think? Security, can it, uh, this sense of security, can it be learned? Um, I think so. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think yes. Um, I, I don't know if I would, well, I'm, I, well you know, there's technique, techniques and you can be guided into working through those. But in a sense, I feel almost like to learn that sense of security, you must be willing to be insecure in a deeper sense. Like for instance, because one obstacle, so so if I think about it, it's like um, one obstacle to really being clear about how you feel in a relationship. Like for instance, oh, I'm, you're insecure, but why do you feel insecure? Maybe there's suffering underneath, you know, there's, there's a sense already of abandonment. There's something there that triggers those 
those kind of you know thoughts and and um, and behaviors. But I feel like there's always that sense that just looking at how we feel might return the relationship. So there's kind of like this double bind where where you can never look at how really how you feel because it's like oh if if what I feel means that the relationship is not right for me, then it means I'm gonna have to let go of the relationship. You get you get what I mean. So there's there's some there's some sense of like a danger almost in looking at how really genuinely how you, how we feel. Mm. And I think that's an obstacle in looking. You know, so it's hard to say. So when we focus on trying, oh, I want to be secure in a relationship. I want a stable relationship. Sometimes that can be an obstacle. I, yeah, it can be a secure relationship. But then having that sense that you want to preserve relationship at all costs means that you you just you will shut down and not look at how you feel genuinely. And 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 how you feel, because if you really get connected with how you feel in certain circumstances, that can be worked through with your partner and so on, just expressing expressing it, you know, solving issues. But in, in other circumstances, you're gonna have to maybe end the relationship, uh, take more drastic measures. And but what, whether it's talking to a partner, solving the issue, you know, if it's minor, whether it's like ending the relationship, the issue is like really feeling how we feel behind those those behavior or being insecure, it puts us in a place of like responsibility. Like once you really feel it, you, you're responsible for it and you're gonna have to do something about it. You cannot shut it down anymore once you're aware of it. So we always tend to stop like one step before and not allow ourselves to really feel that. So we don't have to take responsibility. <laughs> Does that make sense? And just you know, like, yeah. you know, you know, rolling along, I, I think things are fine, you know, the relationship is fine, other surface, but then doing that we are, don't really deal with like deeper issues. Yeah. And, so I and think we what, miss out, I think. Yeah. What what Nico you're trying to say is is, you know, you can't be avoidant, right? You can't be emotionally avoidant. And and I think again, you know, is this idea of being vulnerable in a relationship. Because to be, I guess, truly secure, you have to, you know, talk about the hard things. Um rather than avoid the the hard things, you know, just to um avoid conflict, right? I mean a lot of people assume that avoiding conflict is important to a healthy relationship, but actually that's not true. Actually studies have shown that, you know, if you have um, little sort of, um, uh, sort of, what do we call that? Disagreements, right? And you talk about them often before they explode and escalate and become resentment. Uh, you're more likely to have a healthy relationship, in fact, right? When you don't allow any of these things to fester. Yeah, so it's actually it's actually good to be aware, right, and to talk often, uh, because that's actually how you could, um, you know, keep away this 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 feelings of um, resentment that will brew up, you know, if you mm. just completely ignore, mm. um, you know, the dissatisfaction. Yeah. Well, just just one more question to follow up on that before we go into one of the comments uh, from Jack. So I just want to ask, I mean, Emery, if you say that it's important to have these conversations, firstly, these are difficult conversations, right? And mm -hmm. it's, there will be some who might feel like I'm not an extrovert. I am not the kind that I am very open about my feelings, right? Like for me, if I'm upset, I, 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 I'm okay with going on social media and saying something, but not everyone is okay with that. And because they are not so expressive, and it could be for a, a multitude of reasons, right? Character, uh, language, uh, personality, 
whatever, right? But if they are, it's difficult for them to be able to express how they feel. How doesn't that make it more difficult for them to, to have these difficult conversations? Probably. Uh, depending on how difficult it is, you know, sometimes they might um, seek external help, maybe through, you know, um, sessions with a, a therapist or a counselor, right? If it's, it's really a huge problem. Uh, but otherwise, you know, this is when the partner could be really helpful, right? Because when you sense, a, you know, some sort of a threat, a perceived threat in a relationship or during a conflict, especially, you shut down and you suddenly you know, don't know what to do, right? But if you feel safe with your partner, that's also when you're allowing yourself more space to explore what's going on for yourself. Um, and that's when you're freed up also to just maybe express how you feel. Because a lot of times it's not that people, you know, are not good at expressing themselves, but there's some sort of underlying block or fear that stops them from, you know, just really showing up and being vulnerable. And when people are safe, you know, even the most introverted of people, Right, would be able to share some things about their internal experiences. Nice. So it it sounds like it's a it's an issue of uh, being comfortable with vulnerability. That's right. Yeah, right. I would like to add something because um, um, yeah, there's a sense that because we tend to think like uh, people who are able to communicate a lot in a relationship are better at relationships. Um, I think that's really not true. So in the sense like someone might be very vocal in relationship, express needs, but the needs might, 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 not be very, might not be very deep needs. They might be very surface, kind of almost irrelevant needs, needs that are irrelevant to deeper issues. And, and there might be people who are very expressive in relationship, very um, open to talk about uh, issues, but those might not be the real issues. And, I might, and it can be difficult, very difficult for them to actually voice those deeper issues. I don't know if that makes sense. So I don't think it's, what I want to say is that they can be as much, um, like even people who are not comfortable sharing feeling in relationship have ways to communicate how they feel. And sometimes it's not like you would see in movies where, you know, like stereotypical American movies where maybe, you know, the person, one partner will show up, sit at the table and, hey, uh, we need to talk, you know, no, I mean, there's, yeah, sure, that, that, can, that can look like that, but there's moments where, you know, in relationship, there's moments where communication can happen. Sometimes it's tense. Sometimes there's no connection between partners. And, and, but sometimes there are moments where, you know, both, both partners are relaxed, you know, they're doing an enjoyable activity. There's openness there. And then things can be shared in, that, in those moments. And that also means that when things can be shared, it doesn't need to be done like right away in a minute. Like you realize something is wrong and you have to walk up to the person right away and you know, just and state how you feel. No, I mean, there's also a time to share. And, and there's really time when it's, there are those times in a couple when people who are not comfortable sharing openly you know, on a daily basis can, can do that. Yeah, and sometimes in ways that are not through words. Um, some, yeah. Ooh. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so timing is important. And oh, just now, as, as you were sharing, uh, well, what came to mind is, oh, when someone says, hey, uh, we need to talk, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, horrible way to start. To start <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Um, before we, we go on to the comment, I'd just like to thank uh, the nine people who are still with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, wherever you are tuning in from, it's uh, it could be pretty late for you. So thank you for joining us. It's, it's really nice to, to have you in this conversation. Um, well, Jack says, um, how to practice self-love in a relationship, right? Let's just show it right here. Oh, how to practice self-love in a relationship. Uh, there will be times when I feel burnt out, right? And this is quite interesting because it's, uh, self-love is a topic that we discussed, la not last week, but two weeks ago. Um, but now self-love in a relationship, right? Uh, any thoughts? Emery? Sean, Sean, yes? what do you think? Self-love in a relationship? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think self-love in a relationship for me involves being open with your needs, uh, finding a way to convey those needs, whether it's through words or through action. Because I think if at some point, everyone has their own needs. I mean, we do things for other people. We do things to, to cater to someone else's needs, right? Because you, you love that person and, and you want to do whatever you can to support that person. But I think there are a lot of times when we forget that we have our own needs as well. Uh, it's not a question that we ask ourselves very often, or at least I don't ask myself that often. Uh, but understanding what those needs are and being able to convey those needs, uh, it's, it allows the other person firstly to, to understand you a bit better. And at some point when you realize that you, you are not able to, that the other person cannot fulfill those needs, then it's a, it's a time when you have to ask yourself the, the difficult questions, right? Is there something you can do about it? Or if there is nothing you can do about it, then this, this person might not be the best for you. But I think it all starts with firstly, understanding your own needs and secondly, figuring out how to communicate that. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Practicing self-love in a relationship? Okay, I can go. <laughs> Since Nicole is smiling. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just from my own personal experiences, this idea of practicing self-love is probably quite similar to, to your, Sean. And um, I think for me, it's just really, really understanding that um, you, you have to have some sort of, you know, healthy boundaries. You can't keep bending over backwards right, or be overly accommodating or enabling, right, because um, maybe your intentions are good to maybe, you know, uh, feel like, okay, you can be helping your partner or, you know, perhaps if you just do a little bit more, maybe your partner would um, feel better, um, things might change, right, but the truth is that if it comes to, to that point when you're giving and giving at the expense of losing yourself, right? It's so easy to feel constantly burnt out, right? And that's when you're, you know, you're not really present anymore. And even if you have a relationship, you're not really enjoying it. Um, and so it's important to kind of, you know, have that sense of healthy boundaries to realize that, you know, it's it's fine to, to, to give, right? But if you realize that it's been excessive, it's taking a toll, 
um, that maybe it's somewhat lopsided, right? You want to take a step back and go, you know, what's this all about, right? Are there sort of, you know, dynamics going on that aren't really healthy? Um, so yeah, boundaries. Boundaries. Nicole. Um, yeah, so um, I think I would ask my, I would start by asking myself the question, um, how can I practice safe love in this relationship? Um, and um, try to see if something comes up. Maybe that's there's really no obvious way that that can be done, as you know, Amery mentioned. Um, maybe um, there are ways. Um, um, there are things that that you you can do. Um, and in fact, you you might see that if you look, you know, again, focus on your really on your needs. Maybe there are things you can do, um, and communicate to your partner, or maybe be do together. Or maybe it can be an activity that can be shared. Um, maybe a vacation somewhere, um, uh, or going to places that we change the way you know the patterns of relationship, like get out of the routine or something that that we change. You know those. Uh, um, um, support behavior that you might have in the way you support your, your partner and everything and just get out of those repetitive patterns. And um, so there's that. Um, and and then things you can do on your own for yourself. And then I can need you to think about, um, do I have the time? Do I have the energy? And what do I need to do to get that time and energy? So there, I don't feel there are answers like it's only just questions actually. And the answers they can only come from you. Like there's already no in my in the and because they, they will change in every time. I mean it, in different situations, the answers might be different. And just asking the right question, I, I feel it's it's what's important there. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh we have another comment. This is from Fine Go. Fine Go was my national coach last time. <laughs> he says, uh great to see you there. You're the best. Thank you, Uncle. Thank you. Nice to see you. Hope every you're doing well. Uh and Jack, thank you so much for the question. If you have more questions, anyone who's watching, feel free to type it in. And uh I can't say we'll give you answers or solutions, but we'll 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 share our thoughts for sure. <laughs> All right. We'll we'll talk for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a question. I have a question. I mean, you know, as we're like typing up the, the I guess, uh, synopsis for today's um, talk, right? I mean, one thing that came up was about type. Um, you know, do we actually have a type? And this is something that we, you know, with my friends as well, like we talk about, like, what is your type? Is there such a thing? What do you guys think? Well, there is certainly um, a preconceived idea of of the, the the type of person that that I like. I mean, type. I I would say that there are, there are two things, right? When we think about someone who's attractive, it's physical looks as well as late, you know, character. At some point, uh, physical looks. Yeah, I believe I believe that there is a certain style or or of a of a person that. It's more attractive to me, um, and beyond that, I think what takes over in the long run, uh, it's really a, a convergence of values for me, 
and that I would feel is kind of like uh, my my type. Yeah, I I think there are people who would say that oh no, looks don't matter at all. Uh, for me, it it does. It's not the most critical thing. Um, but I don't have to date a supermodel, right? That's that's uh that's not my type. <laughs> <laughs> We open to the possibility of dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Or not? I don't know. Yeah, Nico, what do you think? Um, Is there a type? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of like the uh, earlier conversation. I mean, depends on the area. I mean, you men- you mentioned like you know physical aspects, uh, personality, character. Um, personally, I see patterns in terms of like personality, um, not really in terms of like physical appearance, like, you know, um, um, although I think in terms of physical appearance, I tend to be very, um, I go through, follow like the human standards, like in a sense, you know, I'd be attracted to people with my level of attractiveness and above. (laughs) If you see what I mean, it's like the standard psychology experimenting <laughs> where people rate, you know, how they find attractive different pictures. And, and it's, it, won't, it won't surprise anyone that, yeah, there's such thing as you know, most people are attracted to people. Anyway, so that I'm, I'm pretty much like in the norm there. Uh, nothing interesting. And yeah, yeah, I, I do notice uh, uh, patterns in character, but also in ways that maybe people carry themselves. It's kind of vibe also, like more I would, I would call the vibe there. Yeah, I tend to see patterns in, in what I find uh, um, not necessarily attractive, but something that would make me want to talk to someone more or get to know someone more. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for the, I would say, the um, kind of first impression, I would say, yeah. thing. Um, and then, of course, yeah, values, but that way we discussed that, um, yeah. So I don't think that's a single, t- so, I mean, you know, if you were to, there's those different areas. And I think if you were to, um, look at all the different people that would fit those different, different kind of areas, I don't think you would see a type, you know, you would need to really break down, you know, different aspects to see, oh yeah, there's some, there's some patterns there, but it's, it's, you know, if, if you were to look at a group of people, you would see maybe there's no type. I don't know. I think it's, oh. others might not see it. Yeah. Or you might not see it, and there might be one. <laughs> That's possible <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I, sometimes it's just really hard to define that, right? I mean, you, you, you meet someone, uh, even though it's not with the intention of, of a date, right? You just chat with somebody. And sometimes, uh, I don't know, the only way I could describe it is like as what Nico said, it's just a vibe. It's just a really good feeling. And you start to ask, oh, you know, that might be my type. I don't know. Yeah. Is is it a vibe actually, enemy? What do you think? Go ahead. What what is actually it my turn a dating now? advice after that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is there a type? Is there a type? Mm, I mean, just looking at my own personal history, I if I aggregate them and well look through them, there is really no common denominator that I could think of. Like definitely not across looks or personality. Um Interestingly, I mean, you know, um, especially when I was younger, I had laundry lists of things I look for. 
but obviously the partner I end up ended up with um, would not be meeting the list that much. <laughs> so the point is that laundry lists are useless, uh, <laughs> even though it makes you feel safe, right? To have some sort of idea, because at the end of the day, I agree, it is really the you know the vibes they give off, the energy, something intangible. You can't really quite pinpoint, but it just works. Um, and you know it could be someone you completely would have never imagined yourself to be with but if it works i mean why not right um and you know i was just thinking as well if at the end of the day it could really be reduced to neurochemistry right i mean all these books out there helen fisher for instance you know in why we love talks about um really it's you know romantic love is a process of what dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine cocktail, I think. Am I right, Sean? I that would no make idea. sense. Uh, Nico would know. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, all these processes. But then, like the excitement you know, thingy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but see. Drive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the olfactory stuff, obviously. I mean, you know, there's like a certain smell that you might be attracted to. Right. Even though you wouldn't pick it up, it's not perceptible. Um, but for some reason, your brain does pick it up and, you know, something just clicks in you. But see, I don't understand how this might work, say, in a long distance relationship. Like, why is it that there are couples out there who could, you know, like do this whole long distance thing? Right. I mean, obviously, they can't be there to physically like smell the other person, but, you know, it just works. Right. I mean, that's that's I don't know if anyone has any answers here, but, you know, it's just it's just something I was thinking about. Um, a lot of these theories on neurochemistry um, assume the physical proximity of partners. And I'm just not sure if that's actually necessary. Um, yeah. Nicole, you wanted to share something earlier. Do you remember um, what it is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, just to go along with that. So I don't know, but I feel like I mean, there's a possibility that because the smell thing is really about genetics. So there's a study that shows that people who like each other smell actually like they tend to have like complementary genetic material. Yeah. So yep, least, yep. least overlap. So you tend to have less overlap uh, in genome with people you watch, mm. you like the smell, who's your like, whom you like the smell, and people who you don't. Um, mm -hmm. And that's possible that you know you might have the same thing for facial features, and that maps on your gene in the sense that you know you might might like facial features people who are more different from you and they also tend to have very different uh smells so then you tend to like their smell as well so that would that might explain i don't know but that, that might explain that um because face is also important i feel like in the way we connect um and yeah my question so just yeah on the mention of laundry list i think i i disagree i think they are useful uh really but yeah yeah list. i think so especially <laughs> as you get older I feel I feel that it's really helpful to sort through things because we tend we tend to like again that changes with time type what kind of things we like in terms of you know maybe lifestyle not necessarily like tr physical trait but lifestyle you know or vibe maybe and I feel that helps like th sort through like old things you thought are still good for you but end anymore <laughs> so that's that's quite nice to see where you stand um, I feel. Um, and the, but I would balance this out with um, 
a sound dating advice <laughs> I got from a friend. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we have shared widely and that proved quite useful. It's like, uh, so there's this laundry list thing where you really focus on like what you find attractive or what you would want in a partner. And the other advice is to just look at the person who are attracted to you. Just pay attention to the kind of people that would, you know, communicate uh, the fact that, you know, they find you attractive or they would hang out with you and, and see how you, what happens there. Yeah. And I think that's really useful because in, ter in terms of like, in ways that we, sometimes we tend to find people who are attractive that do have problematic patterns and are not good people to be attracted to. They're even like a whole school of um, like dating couple counseling that explains to you that you shouldn't actually be going to people you are attracted to <laughs> um, because they keep that will, you will just keep reproducing patterns and you should just take the time to know people you're not attracted to or for which at least for which there's not that spark and that excitement and 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 explore that so so you know yeah so going in that direction actually looking at who's who's attracted to you can be useful yeah yeah well going along with this idea of uh, getting to know people you're not attracted to it uh, it kind of reminds me of like during, especially during school time, maybe like not so much now, but during school time, it's uh, uh, sometimes I ask my friends, hey, how do you, the two of you get together? Um, and they're like, oh, actually, I don't like him. Uh. He liked me, but I don't like him. But then he kept, he kept chasing and he kept going after. Then after a while, I say, okay, law, try law. And then after you try, somehow, hey, actually, I think he's not, not that bad. Eh. Then uh, together until now, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's That's a good uh, it, story. It, yeah, it's a good story, but it—I don't know. I don't think it happened in my case. <laughs> you know, so I think it's really different. Yeah, for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, on on that point of the start of a potential romantic relationship, right? I mean, do you feel like there is a certain point uh, where a person kind of realizes that? Maybe this is it's it's time to 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 commit or settle or I'm I'm feeling something for this person. I, I don't know how do you describe that? Do you uh, do you feel like at the at the point of dating, there's a certain point where you say that okay, uh, maybe I love this person. So you're asking if there's a right time to say I love you. No, like, do you, uh, like when, you know, you go through those feelings, let's say I, I am uh, hanging out with this person, right? How, how do you know, when, when is the exact point of time where you feel like, ah, you know, maybe this is just not just friends, it's more than friends. I feel something more than just friendship for this person. Is there, is there such a point? Isn't it? It's quite subjective. Yeah. But we also know that the, limerence phase uh, or the honeymoon phase can last from like anything like six months to two years honeymoon um, phase two years yeah up to two years i think i've read it somewhere six months to up to two years wow mm. <laughs> yeah so maybe meaning you might want to wait before you commit to be fair if you're looking for if you really committed to starting you know a long-term relationship and yeah, that means just wait, <laughs> really, um, to uh, commit fully. Oh, the, 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 um, no, I don't, the mean, I don't mean, you know, you can't mean how long, right? <laughs> what I mean is like, by committing fully, I mean, you know, 
asking to marry the person or whatever, you know, that's why like heavy commitment. I'm not talking obviously, uh, you know, exclusively seeing that person. But sometimes um, you just know, right? Yeah, and sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's subjective, really. No, it is. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. But but um, but I think I well, I mean, I feel I think what feels natural is that kind of like you you you, you at least for me, it's like you, I kind of lose interest in like you know trying to see other people or the, it's more the way I relate to people. It's not so much about the clues I get. Not so much about how how I feel when I'm with a person because I think it's harder to see that change over time. We don't have a lot of like, at least I don't have a lot of perspective in terms of how that changed that dynamics. To me, I tend to feel like it's kind of almost, yeah, I don't, I, I'm bad at seeing those changes, I suppose. Um, but what's very clear is like, yeah, how I, I behave with people around me, like outside, you know, like I must spend more, less time with my friends, um, you know, not not look at all the people so much on the street, stuff <laughs> like that, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, then maybe, yeah. Yeah, more. I, I once I once asked myself this question quite some years back, and uh, one of the things that I kind of realized uh, is it's at the point where I feel like I my life or you know my my feelings are uh, it's a little bit more reliant on the person than than before, right? It, it's reliant on a certain response from that person. It's reliant on um, I don't know that person being involved in my life in a certain way. Yeah, when in the past, it's like, oh, okay, lor, if you're there, good, lor, not there, also, okay. Lor. Yeah, and that's the time when I start to feel like, ah, okay, you know, does that increase reliance, uh, emotional reliance or psychological reliance or whatever that is. Uh, does the enhanced reliance actually mean that, ah, I kind of need this person in my life in some way? in some little way, at least. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's just one of the thoughts. You're describing attachment, isn't it? Because attachment is essentially this question, you know, are you there for me? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, partially it's, are you there for me? Um, But like, can I do without you in that sense? Yeah. Uh, How much of my life is, is, is dependent on this person. Yeah. Maybe it's the same idea, just, you know, from a slightly different perspective on, yeah, I kind of need this person so that I'm happier, right? When this person is not there, I feel lonely. I feel, yeah, that's not how, how I would normally feel uh, for a friend. Like just a normal friend, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, we have passed the hour mark. So <laughs> I think... Um, Let's let's maybe let's work on one one final aspect in terms of uh, romantic love and and relationships and I think it's it comes down to this topic of seeking help when things are not going well, right? Um, previously, you know, in earlier part of the conversation, one of the suggestions uh, that that I think it was Emery who, who mentioned is that if things are not going well, one of the options is that you could speak to a therapist, speak to someone else. Um, and I just wanted to get you know, both your thoughts on when do you think is the right time to start, right? Uh, and is there such a thing as too late to resolve everything or anything? Mm. Yeah. 
Emery, any thoughts? I mean, I think that, you know, if both partners in the relationship want to work on it, it's never too late. I mean, I've had couples who were on the brink of divorce um, who sought help. And, you know, after working through, um, you know, a few sessions, right, have realized that all they needed to do was to rekindle the sparks, right, that lost connection they had with each other and, you know, they didn't pursue with the divorce in the end. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, if you, if I just kind of think of the, the cases or couples I've worked with, um, a lot of times it's, it's really just, you know, learning to reconnect and realizing that, you know, even after the honeymoon, right, there can be other ways to keep the sparks alive. Okay. Nico, any thoughts? Uh, is there um, a good time or a correct time to go to a therapist? Um, I don't know. I don't have experience with that, so I'm not sure I can speak to that. But, um, well, in my sense, I mean, I agree with Amiri. Like, I don't think there's such thing as too late. Um, as long as, yeah, both person acknowledge the fact that... Um, just maybe acknowledge how late it is. Because <laughs> then you're like, okay, there might be a lot of work to do, a lot of things to work through. And that's never a pleasant thing, pleasant thing to do. I mean, that's that's not pleasurable. Um, I think if, if like, you know, process of therapy was pleasurable, people would be in therapy, people would be doing therapy much more. Um, but you present yourself with some challenges and, you know, that might involve like you know both partners taking responsibility for things that happened a long time ago in the past repeatedly. That's that's asking a lot sometimes of a person to to make such changes after a long time. So it's not, yeah, it can be challenging. But I think if if both are are clear on on that, I don't see why um, why not. And I think it's really again I, like there's no general advice that can be given there. I think that's just uh, because it's just essentially. Like you would seek help when you've exhausted your own resources, essentially. Um, and when you are work through any um, um, blocks to seeking help. So there's those both aspects, like maybe shame or whatever might, you know, prevent you from seeking help or, you know, talking to your partner so you both can, can get helped. So, um, so, and those limits, you know, are different from from different people, you know, and where you are in life, maybe if a couple, couple going through um, difficulties would have less resources. And so there's really, I don't, I don't feel that there's uh, much that can be done. Other than again, checking with yourself regularly and getting a sense of where you're at. I think that's what can be useful. Yeah. Mm. And just knowing there's that other possibility, you know, getting help, outside help. Um, mm. Or someone you trust, like a friend, someone, a, a, um, um, figure of wisdom that is there in your life and you trust, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do Do you think it works if one one party wants to resolve things and one party doesn't? Um, and 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 a bit of no. of context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the the context is is that sometimes the point when people decide to seek help is when one person really wants to save things and the other person says, "I've had enough." Right? Yep. Yep. Would that now, be too interestingly? Late? 
interestingly, the indication of how, you know, therapy might work or go for this couple is if they're still angry, right? If they're still fighting, actually, they have a better chance of being successful in therapy as opposed to two partners who are completely checked out, right? If they're way beyond, they're just completely, you know, resentful, they're not really talking, they're not even fighting anymore, right? That's actually a bad sign. Mm. Yeah. If they're angry, they care, right? And if they care, there is some hope. Mm. Yeah, no, that's challenge also, I feel, is that beyond like the fact that they're, they've given up, is mm. if there's any partner that's... Um, or both <clears throat> come at it from a place of like moral superiority. Mm. Meaning if there's any kind of contempt, then it's it's gonna be challenging. Yeah. Okay. Nice. All right. Uh let's let's end off with one final question on a slightly higher note. <laughs> uh, which is this, right? So yeah. when we think of romantic love, um, what are some of the wonderful ways that you know, you feel like romantic love can affect someone. Yeah. Should I quote from research? <laughs> yeah, let's give the nerd <laughs> answer first. <laughs> okay. Well, what's um, the nerd answer and the personal yeah. studies answer? Have shown, studies have shown Thanks. that, you know, to be married, right? Um, we're talking about a heterosexual relationship, right? To be married would actually benefit the men, but not the woman. Right, so men actually live longer and they they lead better lives if they're married to a woman, but for women, you know, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> so we're cool on our own, but guys need women, right? <laughs> so just putting it out there, but yeah. it's not for me; it's from research. That's true. Yeah, exactly. And I want to add that these are averages, which means there <laughs> are some women for whom marriage would be better than from their husband <laughs> and the other way around. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, must, I must have been missing some some details as well, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the general gist I obviously remembered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they still end up settling down because? Who? Women, like women. or the men? Women. The men. Well, I guess women are nice. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's just really hard for me to come up. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see why. Because it's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder what the author of the article suggested as a. Must have been a challenging uh, article to sell. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I think from from what I remembered, um, there was this whole um, argument talking about how, you know, women actually would help men um, develop more positive habits. I I, I believe, right? And yeah. So I think, you know, they exert some sort of a positive influence, whereas, mm. you know, yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. Okay. I'm happy uh, to be disputed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, All right. discussion to have, but that would lead us very far. Like, yeah. In terms of historically, like maybe, you know, all the times when safety was an issue, like people had to care for their own safety. Mm -hmm. um, maybe having a man married to being married to a man was the only option for, uh, you know, having a standing in a community sometimes, uh, feeling protected and, uh, um, you know, just you need a provider, like in traditional, you know, societies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think it's time for us to give our final thoughts. Uh, just a final few statements. Uh, dating advice, if you like anything you like to say <laughs> about uh, romantic love. Uh, and I, I think I'll start first, right? So I, I guess my final thoughts would be be open about your needs, I would say, you know, just, just from my personal experiences. Um, if you're open about your needs and then find a way to communicate them, it, it allows you to make a, a better decision all right, on where, this, where your relationship is and, and where it's going. Uh, keeping things quiet and sucking it up, it's uh, not going to help both parties. These are difficult conversations, but I think they are essential conversations. Uh, and that, that way you, you understand each other better. Yeah, and uh, the feeling of love can be, can be really, really lovely <laughs> and uh, <laughs> reassuring. And uh, the sense of security can be, uh, it, it can be something that you, you, it's on a different level from, from everything else, right? That, that assurance. Yeah, uh, who wants to go next? I don't have any wise words, but I can go. Um, <laughs> um, be with a person you can live with and you can't live without. Yeah. I don't know. It just came to my head. Um, nice yeah. Quote. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's original, but it was it just in my head. And of course, I think it's important to be um, vulnerable in the relationship. Because yeah. I think that the best relationships are the ones where you feel safe to be vulnerable in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that um, um, I think that we we haven't, my sense is that we haven't had better tools than relationships to grow and transform as individuals. And so I feel like in, 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 in meeting, like in being full hearted in a romantic relationship, which means being as open as you can be and, you know, in ways that make sense to you, that feels natural to you with your partner and being as open as you can be and as loving as you can be towards yourself and being as courageous as possible in feeling the emotions you feel, um, then that's why you can really transform yourself um, and the other person in the relationship. And I think doing so, you kind of have those ripples of like, you know, care and, and, um, and love going through, you know, people around you, like friends, you know, family and strangers. I think that's that that can be like the core of how you grow a broader, more open kind of sense of love for others. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, and that brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you, everyone, for joining us from from wherever in the world you are. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good night. Good evening. Two weeks later, we'll be back on same timing at 1030 uh, GMT plus eight. And we are discussing a different emotion. So we've done self-love. We've done romantic love. We are moving on to a different emotion. And that emotion is shame. Right. So uh, join us again two weeks later as we chat about you know uh, shame and the different aspects to it. Once again, thank you so much for spending your time with us. All right. So from just from all of us. Bye bye. See you guys. Bye. bye. <laughs>